Thank you for checking out this resource from Grace Chapel in Skinny Atlas, New York. If you'd like to find more like this, or you'd like to learn a little bit more about our church, you can do so by going to gconline.org. And now let's jump into this week's message. Anyways, uh, today, I would declare to you that today might be one of the most important days in some of your lives because of the nature of what we're going to speak about. I'm talking to people who have been believers for years, trusted in Jesus as their Savior. One of the most important moments we're going to discuss today. We've been doing this uh, series in Acts, and uh, we last couple weeks, the first week I gave you an overview. Last week we talked about this promise that Jesus talked about and said that he was going to give. So he makes this promise, and today we're going to look at the next chapter in Acts chapter 2 where this promise is fulfilled. It's a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. And today we want to look at it and understand it wasn't just important for them, it's important for us. The realization and the understanding of this passage will forever change the way we live. And so I want to take you through this this morning, and we're going to break it up into different sections because Acts chapter 2 is huge. I don't even know how far we'll get today. Let's just play it by ear and and see what happens. But what I want you to do is begin to track with me today as we look at this incredible passage of Scripture. Remember last week, Jesus made this statement. He said, you will receive the promise of my spirit and go to, to Jerusalem and wait for that promise until he comes. And so they did. And it was interesting, let me just set the timing just for a moment before we read this, so that you understand. So the timing is it's Pentecost, meaning it's 50 days from the Passover. And as we understand that the timing, there are thousands upon thousands of people from all over the known world that are converging on Jerusalem at this time. And they're, they're coming in to celebrate one of the three main feasts. It was a harvest feast, a feast of first fruits that they would offer before the Lord in celebration of the harvest. And so they would come from all of these places. And you'll hear them, we'll read of them. There are a lot of different places that they even mentioned. I'm sure there were more. But they come to this moment, and Jesus fulfills his promise. Have you ever had somebody make a promise to you? I think we all have probably, right? You've had somebody make a promise like, uh, hey man, yeah, I promise we're going to do this together. We're going we're gonna to accomplish this. We're going to experience that, whatever it is. And, and maybe it happens and it's awesome and sometimes it doesn't happen. You ever have somebody promise that they're, you know, they're going to keep something a secret Keep something in confidence? Well, that happens too at times. You go, man, I, I promise, man. That's, that's, you can count on me. 
And we've experienced in life this reality of sometimes a promise is given. It's not about the promise given. That's the easy part. It's the promise fulfilled that's the hard part. And I can just imagine in this moment, think about this. It says 120 followers of Jesus gathered together in this room, and they're waiting. I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. I don't like to wait for much. That's why we have everything's fast. Fast phones, fast computers, fast food. Uh, everything's fast. Because most people don't like to wait. But remember, Jesus, the, the ascension was 40 days after the resurrection. Pentecost is 50 days and so we, we understand that this moment they're, they're waiting for, for several days, maybe up to 10 days, they're waiting. And they're in this gathering together. And can you imagine the conversations? Some of them are like, well, Jesus promised he's going to keep his promise. And other people are probably going, mm, I, I know he promised, but what in the world? I mean, when will we know? How is this all going to work? And there's just all of these conversations probably happening within those people. And so that's where we enter chapter 2, verse 1. And follow through with me. We'll read through the first four verses, and then we'll move on from there. He says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a, a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Basically freaky out. And then it says in this, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave utterance. Wow! I mean, this is amazing. I look at this, and I, the first thing that comes to mind is this was an undeniable moment. Undeniable. I don't know if you've ever been in a big storm, and the wind's blowing so hard, you, you, you understand the power in the force and the sheer noise that it makes at times. So what happens initially is this mighty Russian wind goes through. And with that, it gets their attention like, man, something is happening. And then even to go further, it says that cloven tongues, like tongues of fire, were resting or sitting on the heads of each one there. And then they began to speak in foreign languages. And some people come to this passage and they're like, ooh, that's kind of bizarre stuff, man. I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of cool with some things, but this has gotten extreme. I really believe that God orchestrated this not just for the symbolism that each one represents, which we will talk about, but the reality that what happened there, no one could deny it was a work and act of God. That this was a moment, man, if you start seeing like a tongue of fire on, on somebody's head and go, 
dude, you got a fire on your head. You look back, you got one on your head too. Ah! You know, we're like all freaked out together. And it's like something is going on and this mighty Russian wind comes through and, and then we begin to talk and then what? I'm talking in a language I've never spoken before. Talk about freaking you out. I think they were freaked out. But what happened, and I don't want you to miss this, was God was pouring his spirit out, and what was happening was undeniable. It was unforgettable. We look in scripture and we see the symbolism of these things, right? Symbolism of, of wind, first of all. Greek and Hebrew. Spirit and wind, same word. And we understand that the symbolism is this invisible thing has this visible effect. So we understand that wind you can't see, but you can see the impact and the effect of it. And sometimes it's so powerful, it can level things. Just mow them down. You've seen a tornado go through. My wife and I went to uh, Florida and we saw, we, we got great uh, deals on a lot of things because a tornado had just gone through. But man, the devastation was horrific. And it was, it was hard to even comprehend, honestly. The power of wind. He was symbolizing that the, this, this wind symbolized the power of the spirit that would reside in the people of God was undeniable. And then the fire. The fire in, in scripture often symbolizes the presence of God. Sometimes it represents the judgment of God. It can represent many things, but in, in this picture, we even think of the children of Israel in the wilderness, and as they're wandering, what do they do? They see a pillar of fire, God's presence leading them. And we understand that, again, this beautiful symbol is that the God who created you, Jesus who saved you, wants you to know that the Spirit of God is going to indwell you. Powerful moment, undeniable. And then they speak in these foreign languages. At first, they're probably all confused. You're like, how are they? It's like, what? You know, they couldn't figure each other out. They go out in the streets, and the next thing they know, that what is happening is purposeful. And this is the second big thing, and I want you to understand, this wasn't gibberish. They weren't just speaking some, um, you know, unknown uh, tongue that's never been heard. It says that they were speaking languages that were understandable to so many who had gathered there on that day. Let's look in the next few verses. Verses 5 through 13. Oh, this is good says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered. We don't use that word much. I kind of like it. It's like, what? That's what we would do today probably, right? Because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, 
Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and the visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Wow, isn't it great when the world goes, I don't know what's going on, but what is going on? <laughs> I want to know what's going on with this whole Christianity thing. And the world was asking. So we look here and it says this. They were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocked and said they are filled with new wine. Do we not have that? Do we not have people who wonder, they're curious, they want to know, they want to understand, and others say, this is a bunch of weird stuff, and I don't, you know, whatever, this whole Christianity thing, I can't, I can't believe it. What I want you to understand in this passage more than anything else today is the why. It's the why. To understand that this undeniable moment that happened in time where the Spirit of God was given to believers, was poured out on believers. Why? We see part of it was to declare the mighty works of God, to share the gospel with the known world, to empower them to do this. But we will see through the rest of the New Testament that it's the presence of the Spirit of God that it transforms us. He transforms us into the people he wants us to be. If we don't get that, I'm sorry, but you'll never be the person that God intended you to be because you can't do what he can do. The presence of his spirit within you, undeniable. The power that he works through us is dependable on us. Do we surrender ourselves and put ourselves in, in this place where we recognize the presence of the Spirit of God and say, Spirit of God, do in me what I can't do? Can we do that? I'm talking about anything. Here we see in the book of Acts, we see it's sharing the good news of the gospel with the world. And there are moments where I go, God, I don't know what to say, but help just fill my heart and put words in my mouth so I can share of your greatness. And I go share and there are other people that it's only by the Spirit of God they overcome addiction or they overcome depression or they overcome all the other things that we, we are just inundated with in our world. But we often try to step forward and do things in the power of our flesh. We go, we, we invite God to help us, but we don't realize that the Spirit of God indwells us to empower us, to transform us. We see that later on in Galatians that it's the character of God that he's displaying in us. And in 1 Corinthians, it's the, the gifts of the Spirit that he's displaying out of us. It's this reality that the Spirit of God is at work in the people of God, causing us to do what we couldn't do otherwise. I was watching a baseball game with my wife, one of our kids was playing, and um, I don't know about you, but baseball, is, it, can, it can be fun, but it can be slow. 
You know, I think the, the whole seventh inning stretch thing, I think you ought to do a stretch every inning. Um, but that's my own thing. Anyways, watching youth baseball is a little harder. So we're standing there, I'm watching the kids play, and um, it's probably in my midlife crisis, you know, going through that thing. And um, I'm watching this guy, and he's, he's over in the football field right next to us, and he's running. And he's doing these sprints to, like, the 50-yard line. And my, I looked at my wife, and I said, hey, I'll be right back. And she says, well, why? What are you doing? And I go, I'm going go, to go race this guy. <laughs> she goes, for the love of God, are you out of your mind? <laughs> and I go, no, I, you know what? Let's do it. <laughs> so I went over there, kind of freaked the guy out. You know, I walked up to him. I go, hey, man, um, this is going to sound really weird. But do you want to race? And he He's looking at me like an old guy. You know, he is ripped. I'm ripped under my shirt. <laughs> Way under. And, and so he goes, all right, whatever. I'm just, I'm looking over there at my wife. You know, you do the, one of those things and you're like, yeah, like, watch this. Unfortunately, what she saw, she can't unsee. And it was like, all right, ready, let go. And I was running my tail off. And I'm looking, and he's just like walking away from me. I, I used to run and win races and do all kinds of things. And my body just couldn't do it. And I think oftentimes, I know it's a stupid, crazy story, and I pray that image will be erased from your mind. I was the one leading. Yeah, let me change this story. I was the one leading the race, and I was looking back at him going, ha. Ah. No, whatever. But as we were um, doing this, it reminded me that there's so much in life. I go, I think I can do that. I'm going to attempt that. But we do that within our own strength and our own power, and we don't realize or remember that Jesus even told the disciples, don't even declare my mighty works until you receive the promised spirit that he will empower you to do everything I've commanded you to do. And so we see it. We see it in Acts 8. This same outpouring goes to the Samaritans. Acts 10 goes to the Gentiles. Acts 19, we see is poured out, what? To the followers of John in Ephesus. And we see all of this start to happen, this, this transitional moment where the Spirit of God is poured out. But it's not what happens every day in the life of, of believers after this. It's not like we, we accept Christ and then we got to wait for the Spirit. He was reminding us through these moments of transition that when we confess Christ as our Savior, the Spirit of God resides within us. We don't have to wait. He was giving confirmation that this reality is true. Let me look at verse 38. I'll show you. Verse 38 in this passage says this. After Peter's sermon, he preaches this powerful sermon. And it says, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and wait. 
and wait and wait. No, he says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I think the most powerful thing that believers need to realize today isn't just the, the presence of the Spirit of God in them. It's the reason for his presence. It's to empower us to accomplish everything that God desires for us. To be able to witness, to be able to overcome the challenges of this world, to be able to display the character of Christ in situations where our flesh doesn't want to. Everything that God desires for us, he empowers us to accomplish. But we, we need to recognize that and then take advantage of the power that resides within us. It's incredibly powerful when we understand this and it's life transforming. And we called this series the, the gospel of transformation. That God is transforming people. It's not just that we get saved and that we're good and I'm good for heaven and my sins are forgiven and all this. It's, it's good. That's what Peter says, right? But that's that moment in time where God transforms us and makes us his child. But then beyond that, he continues to work in our life to do the things we could not do otherwise. Mm, that is good. Isn't that good? Mm. So we look through this and we understand these realities in, in the book of Acts. And I don't have time to continue to go down through here. But what we see is Peter preached this incredible sermon. We see 3,000 people come to Christ. And who are these people? They are people, everyday followers of Jesus, 120, filled with the Spirit, enabled to do what they could not otherwise do on their own. They go out and they begin talking about the mighty acts of God. Peter, in the power of the Spirit, starts declaring the gospel of God, and 3,000 people come to Jesus. And in that moment... God orchestrated this time that all of these people then would go back with that same gospel message to every nook and cranny of the known world and begin sharing the same thing. Why? Because they weren't going alone. Don't forget that. They weren't just like, oh, I gotta go home now. Great feast. You know, love the celebration. The food was amazing. Uh, they were going back each one of them who had received Christ, they were going back in the power of the Spirit who was indwelling them. We are the temple. Things have forever changed. We are the temple. I hope we get this. I hope we understand the reality of this. We're no longer alone. We're no longer powerless. Everything God intended, designed, or desires is possible through the truth of his word and the power of his spirit. So today, let me leave you with two things, two things that I think are critical when we look at this passage. The first one is that God's mission had you in mind. God's mission had you in mind. 
God's mission was to redeem all of mankind. And, and Jesus came to this moment. And what was the purpose that they were there? They were, they were declaring the gospel. 3,000 people came to faith and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. And it says, and they were saved. The first thing is to understand this. That God desires you to be in a rightful relationship with him. And I pray, if you haven't done that, that you will come to this realization that the God who created you and Jesus who died for you loves you so much that he doesn't want you to stay bound to your sins, enslaved to your flesh, but to free you from your past, from the regrets, from all of those things, and to give you the hope and the promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. He says, well, how do you do that? Same thing Peter preached that day. Trust in Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection. He's accomplished it all for you. Couldn't do it. You can't forgive yourself. You can never make your relationship right with God. He's the one who had to come to us to accomplish that. Trust him. And the rest of us, listen, God's promise is for you. The promise that we speak about, the promise that we read about in Acts, this isn't something that happened then and only then. You are the temple. The Spirit of God dwells within you. Why? To empower and transform you to the image of Christ so that you can accomplish everything he designed you to accomplish. Too many times I've tried to overcome things in my flesh and I, you know, just willpower. And God says, it's never your willpower. It's through my power and through the presence of my spirit that you will accomplish the things I've called you to. And that's why I said, today may be the most important day in your Christian walk. It's not enough to know that Oh, yeah, if I die, I'm going to heaven. That's, that's taken care of. That's solved. What about your life, the way you live? It's forever wants to transform the way you live. And it's by the power of the Spirit. Isn't that good? Mm. Thank you, Jesus. Father, this morning we give you praise. We give you glory. You are good all the time. Open our eyes. Help us see this incredible miracle, this power that resides within us, this person who dwells within us, the person of the Spirit of God. Help us recognize who you are and what you want to do in and through us. God, allow what happened there. We don't want another Pentecost. It was just a beautiful moment for them. We want your power exercised here so that we can have our moments of transformation too. So bring a revival, not by great music, not by great preaching, but by the power of your spirit, may you allow hearts to be changed and transformed. So God, we pray a revival even here. And we give you praise, honor, and glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.